0: following podcast is sponsored by the hood college bookstore
1: most of us think of the bookstore as just a place to buy or rent books
0: well i'm here to tell you that's not the case
1: the hood college bookstore is a great place to buy all kinds of things need some hood branded merch you'll find hoodies and t-shirts hats and scarves sweats and socks mugs and cups
0: they even have hood branded blankets
1: low on shampoo or soap they have you covered
0: Bad breath before class? Buy some gum or Tic Tacs. Need a pen, highlighter, or notebook? The bookstore has tons. Does your roommate have a dog? Buy them a Hood College leash or collar.
1: Need some Advil or Tums? The bookstore has your back.
0: Need a last minute birthday gift for your best friend? You'll find plenty of options. What I'm saying is the Hood College bookstore has you covered for all your gift, school, snack, and clothing needs. Oh, and did I mention they also have gift cards? Lots and lots of gift cards. So the next time you're in WIT, stop in and browse around. Mention my name, Tim Jacobson, and the name of this podcast, Get to Know a Blazer. And receive 10% off your purchase. Everything that is except books. But listen to the show first. Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of Get to Know a Blazer, an in-depth yet lighthearted interview podcast that focuses on the many interesting and wonderful people that inhabit our Hood College campus. I'm your host, Tim Jacobson. For those of you who don't know me, and I'm assuming there are many, I am the coordinator for Hood College Broadcasting Studios, and I'm an instructor of visual media media communication. Last week on the show, I interviewed Steph Nasu, Hood College alumni, one of my former students, and now a published book author. It was truly wonderful to catch up with Steph, and I know that only great things are in her future. Before I get to the guest for this show, I just want to be transparent here. I used a new mic setup for this show, and there's a little bit of an echo quality to my audio, which I'm hoping to fix as we go forward. It's not too apparent, but there's a slight kind of echo quality to my audio. So hopefully that's not too distracting. On this show, I'm interviewing a longtime hood professor. They have a very interesting past, just like a lot of the other people that I have interviewed. But this one is a little bit different. And let's just say that her time here at Hood is probably her second, third, or maybe fourth act in her life play, with many more acts to come. We started our career at Hood around the same time, in the same department and we were encouraged to teach at Hood by the same person. We also share a passion for still photography and good visuals. We share a passion for storytelling. Please welcome to the show.
1: My name is Catherine Orloff, and I am the director of the Communication Arts Program and the co-director of the integrated marketing communication program, along with Jerry Van Winter,
0: the integrated marketing program. How long has that been around at Hood now?
1: Mm, I'm guessing maybe five, six years. That's um, kind of what I thought. It it came about because we had one student who was a CMA major, but she was also interested in business mm-hmm. and and the business aspect of marketing. So we did a test when Donna Bertazzoni was here. We did a, a kind of a prototype program for her. And she was our, I hate to say this, but she was our guinea pig. And afterwards, we looked at it and said, you know, I bet other students would be interested in this. And here we are.
0: Yeah. And it's taken off. Yeah. Um, so let's go, um, I want to talk about your, your life before Hood, but I want to go back the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, Where did you grow up?
1: I'm a valley girl, dude.
0: Did you grow up in the valley?
1: I grew up in the San Fernando Valley.
0: And tell me, tell me about uh, like family dynamic. um, Well, brothers, sisters.
1: Nope. I'm an only child. My father was a screenwriter. He started out as um, a lawyer. He was born and raised in New York. His grandparents were from Ukraine. We're Ah. thinking about Ukraine these days. Three of my four grandparents are from Ukraine. Wow. Yeah. Um, I don't know specifics because the ones I know that are here, but I know we have extended family. And one of these days I'll find them. Anyway.
0: They might find you.
1: Or they might
0: be like, you know. I'm hoping. You never know.
1: I'm hoping. Anyway, uh, my father was a lawyer, and uh, he came out. He was born and raised in New York. He came out with a couple of friends to uh, Los Angeles, and he got off the train at Union Station, and he wasn't sneezing. Mm -hmm. He was deathly allergic to ragweed, and said, I'm staying. And through family connections and people that he met, he started writing two reelers for Phil Harris and his band. And then went on, and, and much of what he did was um, westerns at Republic Studios.
0: Well, that was a big thing back. Oh, you it know, was. This was like what? This was the 50s, 40s, 50s? F- 40s 50s. and 50s, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And my mother graduated from Hollywood High School. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's and, so cool. And um, she became a contract player at MGM.
0: Uh, what she play?
1: She, well, she she has dialogue. The only movie I know she has dialogue in okay. is one scene in My Favorite Wife with Cary Grant. Hmm. But um, she she was a kind of a showgirl kind of Goldwyn girl, but she was under contract. Yeah, and um, kept her friends, and one of them um, was Lucille Ball, and so they stayed friends forever. And, um, after Lucy retired and after my mom, my mom left show business to be a mom, mm-hmm. she went into real estate she became the real estate queen of Beverly Hills. There's and a little
0: bit of money in real estate in Beverly Hills. I a little, think. Bit, yeah, little bit. Yeah.
1: A little bit. Not as much as there, you know, there is now. This was the seventies, the eighties. Yeah, but, but, um, she used to play backgammon with Lucy every afternoon. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
0: Now, would you tag along, like, on those? Did you get to, like, go, you know, when you were, you know... Oh, yeah. A little knee-high thing? Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. What? Tell me a, a memory from back then. Like, what's one thing that you're like, I can't believe I got to do this, like, as a little kid? What's one as thing you remember? As a little kid, yeah. the
1: thing I can't believe I got to do was hang out with Cary Grant for a day. Um, My mother and he remained friends, he, mm-hmm. and he used to have... Box seats at Dodger Stadium, and whenever he didn't want to go to the baseball game, he would call my parents. And my father always joked that when he answered the phone, the voice on the other end would say, "This is Carrie, Carrie Grant," and my father would say, "As if I didn't recognize the voice." <laughs> and he, so my parents yeah, would. You would, have
0: a voice. We know.
1: Yes, we hear it. Um, actually, my. My adult moment, I know we're okay. not there yet. But no, now, we'll get there. Yeah, go ahead. My adult moment was um, hanging out with David Lean. Um, really? Yeah. Um, I was at Columbia Pictures when he did Passage to India. and um,
0: David Lean's a director. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: A director of Bridge on the River Kwai mm-hmm. and Dr. Zhivago and, yep. and um, Lawrence of Arabia. And it was somebody who I idolized. And when I got to work on Passage to India, he took me to lunch at the Pinewood Commissary in London. And I, you know what, it was like, I can't believe I'm having lunch with David
0: Lee. I think anytime you get, like, meet an idol or somebody that oh, you... Oh, man. You know, go, man, he's talented, or they're talented, whoever it is. Yeah.
1: And, he, you know, there's that saying, you never meet your idols. But there are very few people that I've met in my life who I wasn't disappointed in. Okay. You know? I, I mean, who I, yeah, the, most everybody I've met has been extraordinarily lovely. Well, good. That's <laughs> Not <laughs> a lot of people can say that. It, yes, except for, you know, there are a couple of exceptions. Yeah, yeah. You'd, yeah, you'd
0: yeah. get rid of them. All right. So you grew up in the Valley. Yeah. Tell me about like what family life, like what did you, what did uh, did the Orloff family kind of do? Like what did your family do when you were growing up?
1: Well, you know, I, I think everyone's... Like vacations Yeah, you know, know, we, we didn't do that kind of outdoorsy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, We went to Palm Springs. We went to Palm Springs because my, my dad loved to lie in the sun. Okay. He, He paid for it dearly at the end of his life, Mm. but um, he loved to sit in the sun, and my mom loved to be around the nice weather, and so Easter time, we'd go to Palm Springs, and then for my grandparents' 50th anniversary, we went to New York. So it was the first time I'd ever been on an airplane, and... How old were you? Ten. Ten.
0: And flying, yeah, flying back then was...
1: Completely different. Oh man, you dressed. Yeah. You dressed to get on an airplane. My mm-hmm. mother made sure I had little white gloves. <laughs>
0: I would have loved to see that.
1: <laughs> so would I. I wish we had pictures. Man.
0: Yeah, I remember I, the first time I flew. I think I was like nine, maybe nine or ten, and I went to see my grandparents in uh, in Tucson, Arizona. We had to dress up. I'm like, I'm not going to church.
1: I'm getting on Exactly. Boat. It's like you know.
0: Carried your luggage. there's no wheeled luggage. No. Everything was checked free Oh, yeah. You
1: know? Oh, yeah. Wheels Nutty. were, you oh, know, wheels it. were for, you know, wimps. Yeah. So, um, high school and college. Let's get into that. Where okay. You... So, I went to Grant High School. Okay. Um, and I was thinking, it was funny, um, Tom Selleck was in the class ahead of me, and he um, I remember him being the cutest boy in school. He had a brother named Bob. They were both obviously basketball players because they were pretty... They were super tall. They were really tall. And they went to SC. Um, I, of course, went to UCLA and thought that, you know, the the less expensive, almost free school is in the prettiest part of Westwood. And the really expensive, snotty, quota-ridden school is in downtown L.A. Isn't that sweet?
0: <laughs> now, I mean, was, was he acting back then? Was Tom Selleck acting no. back then when it was in no. high school? No, no. So and this is like, you know, he hadn't really got into doing anything yet. He wasn't no. like a, I don't know when his career really... You know, I don't I either. was later in life, wasn't it? He wasn't like a Jodie Foster or somebody oh, like that no. who started, uh-uh. no. you know, I very, think very young. Or even I, like a Tom Cruise or somebody who started very
1: no, young. No, I don't think he did. I think he, you know, and I'd have to check this, but I think he wanted a career in basketball. You know, and like so many of those high school athletes, they blow out a knee or they, you know, didn't happen. So he's had a relatively nice life.
0: Yeah. So you went, you went to UCLA. What did you study?
1: Well, I wanted to enroll in the film school. Okay. And my father said, no way. And Because I was so young, I actually listened. And he said, if you... Because I wanted to be a writer. My father was a writer. I wanted to be a writer. Did you want to
0: write for movies? Or did you want to write screenplays? I wanted to
1: write for movies. Okay. And at least at the beginning. And then I realized, well, I don't really want to do what my parents do. Mm -hmm. I want to be Brenda Starr, girl reporter. So I was editor of my grammar school paper, I was editor of my high school paper, I worked on the Daily Bruin, and my career track was very much on the journalism side. And I kind of thought of the movies as a congenital virus. You know? <laughs> and but so my father said, no film school theater. You know, you have to learn theater. how to you have to learn how to construct the well-made play. You have to understand that my father was an agnostic Jew educated by Jesuits at Fordham University. And Mm -hmm. I always say that I am a victim of his Jesuit education because every time I asked him a question about anything, he would make me present an argument.
0: Uh, Which is probably a good and bad. I would imagine like at the time you're like, oh, can I just please... Get an answer. Yeah. But then now you're like, well, maybe that, you know,
1: it, you know, learning and how
0: to defend my...
1: Exactly. And it's know, one of the things I always yeah, tell so. my students. I used to bring, when I was teaching feature writing, I used to bring the big um, unabridged dictionary mm-hmm. to class. And whenever there was a word people didn't, students didn't know, I made them look it up. And I thought, you know, 30 years from now, one of those students is going to be looking up a word and there's going to say that darn teacher. Yep. Yeah.
0: Oh, I think we all have that kind of, that one teacher, that one person that, you know, even nowadays you're like, oh,
1: I remember everything that guy told me. Anyway, so. Yeah, um, so, okay. So I you, transferred so you started, to theater. Okay. First week orientation. The professor said, freshman, 40 hours a week, you paint flats. And I said. What? Transfer. <laughs> Get me out of here. You know, scenery. Flat. Yeah, it was all, yeah. Yeah. So, so you're gonna thought,
0: pay your dues, but that's it's not that's
1: I not. probably should have stayed, but I ended up majoring in poli sci.
0: But during that time you were working for college newspaper yep. as a writer. Yep. When you so after graduation?
1: After gra- you go? after graduation, um, I got a job at the Hollywood Reporter, which was is was one of the yeah two. i was gonna say it's not around anymore is well it? it's online it's all okay, it's all it, and yeah, they well, do yes, everything's digital nowadays but nowadays. they do um i don't know if they do it year-round but at least in award season they do print editions big you know i would imagine yeah, yeah. Um, kind of
0: commemorative type of stuff
1: well it's not only that but it's um a vehicle for four-year for consideration advertising mm-hmm. for the academy and most of they spend more and more every year, studios and production companies. I have a friend, I have several friends that I talk to regularly in L.A., and they say, you can't go anywhere. You can't read anything. You can't look at a billboard. You can't watch TV. There's all of these four-year consideration begging ads. So that's how interesting. That's how they make their money, selling advertising. Oh,
0: yeah, any newspaper. Yeah, so like I went a to work for the Newspaper magazine, yeah.
1: I went to the Hollywood Reporter. I okay. got a job as, you know, the grunt. And I brought them all my tear sheets from the Daily Bruin, yeah. And they put me to work as the editorial room grunt. You know, I wrote headlines and took the stock quotes and wrote obituaries. and. Like
0: any good first year, you know, hmm. going, yep.
1: Yeah. And it was also in the day when the studios were paying a lot of money to host journalists in locations where movies had been shot for um, press junkets. Okay. And those little awards went around the newsroom, and people were going to places like Paris and Acapulco, and, you know? And my, you know, my turn was next, and I'm, Shoot, thinking, yeah. I'm thinking, do I need a passport? El Paso, Texas.
0: <laughs> Close to a passport, but not, well, yeah. What was, were they filming there?
1: They or had. What, they oh, were, there's
0: probably some western or something. I would imagine. Fire Creek with oh, okay. with
1: Jimmy Stewart, and um, it was right on the border with Juarez, where we went to bullfights, which is not one of my favorite activities. No. And no. what I learned very quickly is that many of the journalists on these on these press trinkets. Have a liquid breakfast and they start early and they drink all day. And the only person my age, I was in my 20s. Yeah, probably not even 30,
0: yeah.
1: Was Roger Ebert. Oh my God. <laughs> who, who had just started writing for the Chicago Sun-Times. Yeah, I remember. So we became lifelong friends. Wow. Yeah. And then, um, you know, this is... Was
0: was he working for the Tribune back then, or was he...
1: No, Siskel was at the Tribune. Okay, yeah. Roger was always at the Sun-Times. Okay,
0: that's right, because they were at at competing newspapers. I grew up outside of Chicago, so we would get both. We would get the Trib and the Sun-Times.
1: Right. Well, wasn't the Trib an afternoon paper?
0: It could be. I'm not sure. My... It could be, because... My dad probably, he probably read the Sun-Times, which was a broadsheet. Right. It wasn't, you know, traditional. Right. Um, and then I know he read the other newspaper when he got home from work. So it could be, well, you would think in a two-newspaper town. Right. One of them's got to be morning. The other one's going to be your right. daily or your afternoon.
1: So right. Probably. Well, but they the, both
0: were critics, yeah.
1: Yeah. So it was, you know, Roger and I were friends, and um, the reporter decided they wanted a music column. Because they figured they could get advertising from the record companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because they covered theater, they covered movies, they covered TV, but they hadn't covered music. And I was the only person in the editorial department who could name all four Beatles. So I was it.
0: That's cool.
1: Yeah. And so, skipping ahead, I became a rock journalist. And that was my first life.
0: Now, was that still for Hollywood Reporter?
1: No. I actually. Where'd you go? I came to work one day, and there was somebody at the reporter. There was somebody sitting at my desk. Oh no! Yeah. So.
0: Is that how you found out?
1: Yeah. Ouch. Well, usually in the in the movie business, you find out you've lost your job when um, you read it in the trades. Yeah. That they've hired somebody else. Anyway, so there's a backstory there, but we don't have time. Anyway. So where'd you go? So
0: you started- Rolling
1: Stone. Um, okay. And then I decided to go to grad school, because really what it was in the back of my mind was that eventually I wanted to teach. So um, I was still writing, and, and Roger suggested me to Bailey Howard, who was then one of the execs at the Sun-Times. They were looking for a music columnist based in LA, and I got that gig. So I was writing my weekly column for the Chicago Sun Times on music, okay. on rock and roll, yeah. And um, music changed. I mean, there were there were a lot of. things. And this was so. This was in this in the late seventies. Late seventies, really, okay. And I loved it. You know, I loved the music. I loved, yeah. um, you know, we. I loved kind of just hanging out so we kind of, you know, sitting on stage. Well, and that's,
0: I think back then, too, you had access.
1: access. Oh, there was the access, access to musicians. Total access. Musicians
0: Absolutely. Wasn't as, you know, kind of sequestered no. No. And, as it is now.
1: And you one could, singer would say, oh, you want to talk to so-and-so? Here's her phone number. Yeah. And then and they I
0: hung out together anyways. At least yeah. Most oh, of yeah. Them, you know. Everybody
1: was at the Troubadour. And so um, every Tuesday night was opening night at the Troubadour. So... We all went. You know, all the, the LA based yeah, writers. Everybody cut their teeth there. Yep, it was everybody. like
0: the, in like New York C B G B. Yeah. But it was the Troubadour. Yeah, And it was yeah. I think it was a little bit more folk
1: well back it's, then. It started it out there. Bit, yeah. It started it was Carly out there. Charlie Simon. Absolutely. And, yeah. Um, I was at the first uh, night Elton John showed up. Jackson Brown. Yeah. 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 All of those singers. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah. then it got As there was another venue called the Ash Grove that was really hardcore folky. Yeah. Um, but Troubadour got a little bit more kind of mainstream pop. Yeah. No, not pop, but more what was then rock and roll. Okay. You know, like when Elton John, Elton John first came to L.A. His first his first date was at the Troubadour. Really. And one of the publicists who I regularly contacted. For you know, who's in town? Who can Mm -hmm. I interview for my column? Said you better get here tonight because after tonight, there's going to be no stopping him.
0: Yeah, he's going to go. Yeah, wow. Who so thinking like back then, what was the what was kind of um somebody that you interviewed or somebody that you saw that like may have like just been starting out and you said this guy or this group or this woman or whatever is gonna like take off. James Taylor. James Taylor.
1: Peter Asher was his manager at the time, Mm -hmm. and I knew Peter through Linda Ronstadt. And Peter called me up and said, I want you to come to Capitol Records because I want to play a record for you because James Taylor's first album was on Apple, which was the Beatles label. Right. And I heard those songs and I said, whoa, amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny you mention Linda Ronstadt because I saw something on here. Her career was... Unbelievable, like the directions her career went. Yes. And, you know, whether it was intentional or unintentional.
1: No, it was totally intentional. You know, you we've know. been friends for 40 years.
0: Yeah. Just the, the genres of music that she played. And I think that determination of her to be, I'm, I'm not going to stand behind somebody. I no. want to be at no. the front of the stage. Yeah. And it's going to be me. And well, everybody else can go, you know... Well, not, not... Not in that way, but she was very determined to not just be...
1: Yes, very determined. Sick.
0: She wanted to be something different.
1: If you talk to and her... And people were like,
0: eh. And she was like, no, guess what?
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and um, she's an ethnomusicologist. If you talk to her yeah, about... I not
0: remember when it was that I saw...
1: Well, she did an interview with Tavis Smiley when he was still on the air on PBS, yeah. where she talked about the origins of French choral music and how it influenced, you know, Zydeco, or whatever yeah. it was. But that's what happened when I was trying to get to Linda, because to, I was writing a, a book on women rock mm-hmm. and roll singers. And Peter Asher, who was then her manager, kind of said, mm. so I, inter- I was interviewing another singer who said, you want to talk to Linda? Here's her phone number. So I called her up, and she was living in Beechwood Canyon and she said, "Well, just come over." So I went over to her house and, you know, we spent an afternoon together and after the interview was over, she said, "You want to be friends for life?" <laughs> and I said, "Yeah. Of course I do." And we have been.
0: That's really cool.
1: So, I mean, I can I can tell you that every album that she made, she made with serious intent. Oh, yeah. From from the Latin jazz albums to the Nelson Riddle albums to the Canciones de mi Padre, yeah. she knows how to do that. And 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 you're right. And you know well, she
0: started as like country, wasn't it? Yeah. Really? Well, early on she was.
1: Yes. Doing country, and then
0: she kind of said, "No, I want to go." Yes. Into that more Latin, like you said, Latin jazz. Latin I don't want to say Latin pop because it really wasn't pop. But she wanted to do something more along those lines. And she got pushback from people. Oh, yeah. Like, you shouldn't do oh, yeah. this. You're going to ruin your career. Oh, yeah. And she said, guess what? Nobody's ever done it before. Well, and I'm going to do it.
1: think about how many people recorded standards after Linda did the Nelson Riddle album. You know, Rod Stewart did it. Carly Simon did it. Bob Dylan did it. Yeah. You know? So all that,
0: how did you come to getting in the mode that says, I want to I get away from all this? And I want to inspire young people well, there to was be a, writers and was to a, appreciate film and theater and you know, screenplays and that whole process. How did that transition a, take place? There's a big hunk in the middle. Okay. Give me the big hunk.
1: The big hunk is when I was doing the music writing, several of my friends got dead from drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, it was that kind of, oh, I didn't know this shot was gonna kill me time of year. Well, that was, was
0: that era too that a lot of it if you were going to go do an interview with somebody you'd do a line of coke with them at the same time I'm not saying you did but I'm saying there was probably a lot of pressure it's either that or you know you would I know you know sit and drink a fifth of I never did any of that
1: stuff mostly because if I if I drink more than a glass of wine I get sick (laughs) (laughs) I don't get drunk I just get sick and um I only saw one person roll up a hundred dollar bill and do a line of blow once because
0: you don't have to tell me who it is. Either.
1: I won't. Okay. I'll tell you that he's no longer living. I'll tell you later. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that's so here's what <sighs> happened. Yeah. I came to the realization, as I said, that the movie business was a congenital virus and mm-hmm. I wanted to work on movies. Okay. So a series of unfortunate events happened, and I ended up working on shooting features, um, and I ended up an executive at Columbia. I was a senior VP of publicity and promotion at Columbia for a while. Columbia Pictures. Mm. Which is how I... So
0: you got, yeah, so back in California. So
1: that's how I got to meet David Lean, Okay. who said to me when I walked in the room that when he had done, he said, I'm waiting for the publicity publicity man and I said I'm the publicity man and he said oh he said my other movies they you know they sent men and now I have this this chicken oh goodness we got to be friends after that I was a chicken I was a chicken well I guess
0: there could be worse things that he could have said
1: he wasn't he was he wasn't mean about it he was just kind of flustered
0: you threw them for a loop. That's probably a good thing. I think so. So how long were you how long were you at Columbia?
1: Um eight years, ten years. And then I decided to do Oh, then I moved to London and worked in PR in London for a while. That's where I met Princess Diana. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> She's dead too. And I worked at the Today Show for a while. Yeah. Producing so, segments. So you,
0: you you went to London. You did PR for
1: a company called PMK. Okay, which is now merged 15 times, and they now have 17 more initials after their name. But they were at the time representing just about every major movie star. So I was there to. So it was more like an
0: agency, almost kind of. It is an
1: it, a- it, it is a, okay, yeah. yeah yeah it wasn't a studio. It was an agency. Okay, and then when I when I came back. Um, I moved to New York and was still working on movies, but then I realized that I didn't want to go on location anymore. I was kind of burned out from going on location. I can see that. And so I thought I would move, and I decided that I um, my anxiety level is too high, so I have to, I can't move somewhere where I don't know anybody. <laughs> so I can kind of offload some of my agita, <laughs> um, and I ended up here because I have friends here, and. Um, as I was being driven around Frederick, um, what year was this? 2004. Okay. Um, my my friend Hannah, who, who was also my realtor, said she drove me around Baker Park, and she said, "And there's the college." And I said, "It looks like a Disney set. I wonder if they have a journalism department." So. Yeah, hood hood in the. Well, I, I no, I'm trying to think.
0: Two thousand four. Hudson wasn't there. The library wasn't there. Was Whitaker?
1: Yeah, it, it was Whitaker? it was all there, but it was, was brand it new. Okay, it was brand yeah. new. So it was, yeah. So I wrote an an email to Al Weinberg and said, I'm moving to the area. This is my I Did have Did you a, know Al? No. I just looked him up in the catalog and said he was a program director of CMA. Mm -hmm. So I wrote him a letter and I said, I'm a member of the Academy, I'm a writer, I'm a journalist. And he said, oh, we're looking for a PR professor. Would you come in and interview? Which I did, and they didn't hire me. Because I hadn't, when I was, just before I went to grad school, just after I got my master's in journalism, I taught at Cal State Northridge for a couple of years. And I hadn't been in the classroom forever. So they hired somebody else. And a couple of weeks later, Al called me and said, well, we hired somebody else, but we kind of like you. Can you teach anything else? He said,
0: absolutely. And I <laughs> Tell said... Tell me what you want.
1: I said, how about film? I know a lot about that, and here I am.
0: Yeah, that's very similar. Sim- like, so... Um... My background, I mean, I worked for newspapers for, you know, 11, 12, 13 years and freelanced for a while. And on um, my wife's kind of suggestion, I contacted Al. And I knew Al because he worked at the Hagerstown Mail and he had a, a, uh, I think he worked at the news post for a while. But I kind of knew him. And she said, you should call up and, you know, see, maybe you can, maybe you can TA you know, help out in the photography department. And I called up Al and I said, "Al, this is Tim Jacobson. You know, is there any possibility that I could get involved with the photography program? You know, TA and come in, helping right. out, whatever." He goes, "He goes, yeah, that's great. How about how about your own class?" And I'm like, "What the hell are you talking about, Al?" He said, "Well, we're trying to expand the CMA program. We have no photo class. We have no photo journalism class." He said, "Why don't you propose one?" See I'm how like, that I'm just like, fits. I'm like Al. I'm like, I'm like, what would that entail? He's like, well, you gotta, you gotta write a syllabus. You gotta come in and do a couple, you know, kind of sample test classes for the board. Right. And I'm like, I'm like Al. I barely read the syllabus when I was in college. How the hell I go about writing one? He goes, you'll figure it out. I'm like, oh my god. So I came in, and you know, that was, I think that was 2006. Right. It was it 2005 or 2006? Right. Teaching photojournalism once a year. It was just like, I think it was in the fall semester. Right. As a special topics. Um, and then they made it full time. And then um, Marsha Dupuis, uh, who was teaching photo one and photo two, uh, his wife was sick. So he stepped back. Right. And so I started teaching photo two. And then, you know, here we are. I how know. many years later? I know. You're the director of the department, and I'm yeah. coordinator for the studio. I
1: know. I know.
0: I don't know how it all happened.
1: It just did. Yeah, it's, just, here it's we are.
0: weird. I feel like I, this is my second act. Um, I never would have, like, you know, in the middle of like me working for a newspaper. If somebody would have said, "You'd make a really good teacher," I'd be like, "Yeah, you're full of crap," you know. And I love it now. It's just I, I can't see doing anything else. I know. I just there's good days and bad days, but Always. when you find a couple students that get it, yes, and you know they're gonna succeed, yes. Those are the students that you. Yep. That just they make it all worthwhile.
1: They really do, and there's something about those students who have the commitment and the energy and the creativity, and they've got a kind of intuitive talent, and they're just looking for a way to channel it. And right. I think that's what we're yeah. we're here to do that for them. Yeah,
0: I think. Yeah, I think there's so it's it's less teaching, it's more just pointing you in the right direction and making sure you're making good decisions. Right. Because you're you like you said, you have that intuition and they have that natural talent, whether it's writing, broadcasting, whatever it is, sure. You have that. I'm just here to
1: be Fine. a guide. Fine tune it. Yeah. Got it. Oh, I love that.
0: So in all in like in all your travels and all that, like what's what's something that you look back on and go, oh I you know, I wish I would have Taken that road or that exit? Is oh, there anything you kind of wish you're like yeah. that you didn't do, and you're like, God, I wish I would have done yeah. that. What
1: is it? Many, many, many years ago. Well, when I was very young, my father gave me one of those box brownie cameras. Yep. And uh, A brownie
0: Hawkeye, probably. Yeah.
1: When um, when he demobbed, as they say in England, when he got out of the army he had bought a rolodex a rolodex a roloflex roloflex sorry yep roloflex important the, difference yes at the <laughs> px and um, and he gave me that Ugh. and i loved photography and he really encouraged me and cut to many years later i'm working for a company that makes featurettes mhm um behind-the-scenes stuff, which are now pretty usual. You know, everybody's got an EPK, electronic press kit crew. Yeah. Um, but back in the day, it wasn't so common. Anyway, um, and I was on the set of a movie, and I and I just I realized that deep in my heart, I really wanted to be a cinematographer, and that photography mm. was the most important thing to me. And I talked to the DP on the set that day, And said, I want to do what you do. And he laughed. He laughed. He laughed. And he said, Honey, he said.
0: Oh, nothing good starts with honey.
1: He said, A, you won't be able to lift up the cases. And B, you'll never get in the union. Wow. And like an idiot, I said, Oh okay, I guess I better go a different way. How old were you? I was in my 20s. In 20s. And because I didn't, because I knew what the structure was of the, the contract system and the union system, mm-hmm. it never occurred to me that there were independent films that I could pursue this. You know, this these were avenues that mostly weren't open to women. And... Even being a still photographer at that point wasn't open to women.
0: No, I think that, yeah, you're definitely and, right. Yeah. And
1: at the time, there were three different camera locals in the IA. There was a local in New York, a local in Chicago, and a local in L.A. Okay. And they had no reciprocity. So that if you were a, loc- if you were a member of 644 in New York, mm-hmm. you couldn't work for 650. 650- you didn't have a card for 659 oh, in L.A.,
0: so would you have to like give up one to go work for the other or if
1: you know no, you could like ha-
0: switch teams?
1: Nope, you couldn't. Wow. So if you if you were a New York cinematographer and you wanted the director hired you yeah. to work in LA, they had to hire a standby from the local who would, you know, show up and either the director would say you can have the B camera huh. or they'd just sit around and, you know, eat from Service. Yeah, I was going to say, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. So in, in 2000, the three locals merged. Okay. And they are now all a national local. It's now Local I don't 600. Know why it took so long. It took so long. It's just territorial? It's way territorial. And Plus, they had their own pension plans. And it, it is still, 22 years later, complicated with- I would imagine. You know, what's going on in the Northeast Corridor and what's in the Western region and- and ironically, because the publicists had, we had our own union. Mm-hmm. Ironically, the union I couldn't get into, I'm now a member of because they merged the two unions.
0: And you were. Uh,
1: but I can't, you know, yeah. I'm a publicist. That's my MOS, as uh, it were. That's so cool.
0: Um, and I, yeah, we did, we did before. We taped this. Um, we were we were talking about the whole Chris Rock Will Smith thing. Yeah. And I think having stewed on this for a long time, I think that the big consensus that every because everybody's got to take this that is that it was the wrong thing to do. Absolutely. It was the wrong thing for Chris Rock to say, though I'm still in that mindset that I think he was trying to be complimentary. And the way that he presented it came off utterly wrong. Correct. I agree. And Will Smith should not have gotten up on that stage. I agree. You know, everything else, you know, and again, we were saying if it it was, if it was a woman who said the same thing, if it was a white man who had said the same thing, if it was, you know, um, somebody else's, if it was somebody saying that about a man, would it have been different? There's so many.
1: Well, I think there's also the fact that Chris Rock and the Smiths have history. You know, there was this incident in 2016 um, with the Oscars so white time, and Chris had said something about, um, because Jada said that they were going to boycott the Oscars. And I think maybe Chris Rock was the host that year, and he said Jada Pinkett is boycotting the oscars it's kind of like me trying to get into rihanna's panties we weren't invited ow yeah so they have history and it was you know it's yeah. it's a kind of a nasty dig but as i was saying before you know we're living in an era now where people who are who are much more easily offended and sensitive to mm-hmm. those kinds of digs than they've ever been before if you look at the old routines of Don Rickles right. on YouTube oh, from the Johnny yeah, Carson he show. He
0: could never get away with
1: he it. He went after everybody. Yeah. You know, Ricky Gervais is famous for it. Yeah. The only oh, yeah re-
0: he's yeah. The only know. reason
1: he did the Golden Globes was because they made he made them promise he could say anything he, say he anything
0: anything you wanted. You, yeah. In a lot of ways, it was uncomfortable, but um, I I think, and again, I'm I'm an eternal optimist, but I think something like that allows an avenue for conversations, you know, to be had, whether it's between teacher, student, daughter, father, or just friends. Maybe that's...
1: I think the conversation does reflect a lot of women's perspective versus men's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've read a lot of comments that say, you know, why can't Jada Pinkett Smith Defend herself. She's a strong woman. She's got her opinions. You know, she doesn't need anybody to defend her. Yeah. And then, you know, the the, the phrase de jour seems to be toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity you yeah. know, that's the phrase de jour. So I'm hoping we're gonna move on from it, both yeah. both in life and in um, the lexicon. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah, and I'm in that same, you know, um, you know, and I you know, I have a daughter and I teach her to be, to be strong. And she, she knows that she has an opinion and she knows that she can express it. And she knows that if somebody is going to say something, she can step up and go, I'm going to defend myself right now. Right. And I don't need anybody else doing that. But whether it's my dad or my brother or whatever.
1: Right. But also if you're in a family and somebody is physically threatened. Yeah. That's a different story. Right. Oh, sure. Def- yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah.
0: But I do, I you know, and I agree with you that, you know, um, the person sh- who should have confronted Chris Rock, and there shouldn't have been any violence. There's no reason to do violence. Should have been Jada Pinkett, and Will should have been standing next to her. Saying, right. I totally agree with what my wife is saying. Um, so you've been here since 2004, 2005? Well,
1: actually, since January of 2005.
0: Okay, since, so what's one thing because you've you know you've taught a multitude of different classes when your students graduate whether it's something about your class or just whatever what's something that you want students to leave hood knowing
1: two things i would like them to know how to ask the right questions which is really harder than it seems oh yeah and the other thing is I want them to be kind and compassionate and have, well, I guess the third thing is to always have curiosity, intellectual curiosity, and creative curiosity. Because if you don't have that, for our students in our field, if you're not constantly asking why things work the way they do, why things look the way they do, why things sound the way they do, you don't grow.
0: Couldn't, couldn't agree with you more that intellectual and creative visual curiosity you know and i, I push my students to do that all the time yeah. and they say look you know i don't want you to do something that's going to make me happy right i want you to do something that's going to make you happy and it may not be my cup of tea right but i can tell if you're doing it well you know um, i'm not a big country music fan but if you Put together a country music song, and it sounds right, and everything's you know layered and mixed. I'm gonna go, damn, nice job, you know. So it's not my job to go, yeah, that's not you know, right, what I would like. You right. do what you like, and I'm just here to do that. But yeah, never be creatively out of touch, so to speak.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wish more people would have that same attitude, Me too. And not just not just in an academic setting but other settings as well. And I think we're getting there. It's a long hill, but um, I think it's slowly getting there.
1: I think part of the problem right now is coming out of the pandemic, everybody feels kind of at sixes and sevens. You know, We're, we're still kind of getting, to mix a metaphor, our sea legs back. You yeah. know, And I think it's going to take a while.
0: I think so too, yeah.
1: I think it's going to take a while, and, and I wish... Our students would communicate more about how they feel stressed, about how they feel agitated about things, about mm-hmm. because we're, you know, we can help. Yeah. In, in some cases, we can. Yeah, I agree.
0: I think that's, you know, getting back to being an optimistic, you know, looking back on the last two and a half, three years, I think we've all, or at least I hope, there's been more of an acceptance to say, I, I got a problem. I'm not dealing with this well. Right. And I feel comfortable to talk to somebody
1: about it. Right. Because, right. you
0: know, the pandemic kind of, you know, our vulnerabilities were on steroids. I know. You know? I know. Um, so I, I hope moving forward that the, the students have that, that sense that it's okay to talk about it. Absolutely. Or not just students, us too, you know, us, Absolutely. You know, to, to go, you know, I'm not having a good day today. I really just want to, you know, I don't need your advice. I don't need you to tell me it's going to be okay. Right. But I just want to talk about it and have you go, okay.
1: I, th- I think part of the problem is that when, when people say they don't feel well and the response they get is, oh, everybody feels that way. I think what they're not taking into account that, each individual feels his or her own pain. And the fact that there are a lot of people who feel the same way may help a little, but we need to address our own issues because we can't help anybody else unless we reach out. I totally agree.
0: Catherine Arloff, thank you so much. Sure. For being on Get to Know a Blazer. And the, the last question I always ask somebody is, Who do you think my next guest should be? Ooh. So it's got to be somebody in the Hood community. Uh, Somebody in the Hood
1: community. Could be a
0: student, could be faculty, staff,
1: administration. I'd say Heather Mitchell Buck. Heather Mitchell Buck. And the reason is that Heather has also had something of a life before Hood and has an interesting... Oh my gosh, what do I, avocation? Okay, I, don't I, give it away. Okay.
0: Because I don't
1: want to say hobby because it's more serious than that. Nope.
0: All right, no, I'm intrigued. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but thank you very much.
1: It's my pleasure. It's great yeah, to talk to you. I don't know that to we've. to talk about
0: all that. You we know?
1: never even, we've never sat down and just no, chatted.
0: We need to talk more about Roll the Flexes and Brownie Hawkeyes and.
1: Oh God, yes.
0: push processing tri film and.
1: Oh God! I my my first <laughs> my first dark room was the bathtub of an apartment I had in grad school. Wow! Because we took um, photojournalism in in J school, and we had a dark room. We had a real dark room, and boy, the first moment you see that oh, image yeah. bubble up
0: yeah, that was high school whew. for me. That was sophomore wow. sophomore year in high school. Magic. I fell in love with the dark magic. All right. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Well, that is the show for this week. Thank you very much again to Catherine Orloff, director of Hood College's Communication Arts Program, co-director of the Hood Integrated Marketing Communications Program, member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, Forever a Valley Girl, former Rolling Stone reporter, friend of Linda Ronstad, a friend of mine, and much, much more. Let's just say that the world needs more people like Catherine Orlov, And if we did, boy, it'd be a lot better place. Not that it's a horrible place now, but it'd just be so much better. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Get to Know a Blazer. I'm your host, Tim Jacobson. As always, be kind to each other and be kind to yourself. Lead-in and lead-out music for our show, titled Grandpa, is written and played by none other than John Medallis. Get to Know a Blazer is a production of Hood College Broadcasting Studios.